0: Welcome back to the Movie Babble Podcast. This week you have myself and I'm joined by Brennan. How are you doing, Brennan?
1: Not too bad. It was a pretty, I wouldn't call it a super busy week for movies, not quite like last week, but we certainly had one big one to chat about and I'm looking forward to getting getting into it this episode.
0: Yeah. Um, and this is one that we kind of speculated on a little bit last week and uh, fits really well with uh, your pick for the, the Babel Club last week, which was uh, Dawn of the Dead, the 2004 version. Uh, so, kind of the, the big movie right now is Zack Snyder's uh, Army of the Dead, which he uh, created with Netflix. Um, he had a, an estimated budget of about $90 million on the high end um, to, to put this movie together, his original idea. Um, it's one that had been stuck in development hell for a while, is um, kind of a spiritual successor to Dawn of the Dead uh, that just never really took off until Netflix kind of stepped in and said, here's a bunch of money. Um, it's already got an animated series on the way from Netflix later this year uh, which is a, a prequel, uh, featuring most of the cast from this movie as well. So it's, it looks like Netflix is trying to shape it up into a franchise already.
1: Yeah, it does seem like that. Like they, they also were talking about, in addition to that, maybe a film as well, another movie as well, but yeah, a hundred percent. They have that animated, uh, prequel series coming out with as you said the cast coming back to do the voice roles which is kind of cool so yeah netflix i mean it's been a little while now they've they've put out a lot of blockbuster movies you could call them and now they're trying to really go for a franchise here in army of the dead and the world building is not bad i'm sure we'll get into it in a second here but
0: uh yeah yeah it's interesting the uh the prequel that's already in the works is directed by one of the actors that was in army of the dead um, and his name is very german, so i'm I'm not gonna even try to pronounce it uh but it's Matthias something that starts with an s <laughs> and, was that uh, the
1: uh was that the safe cracker
0: yeah, it's the safe cracker um looks like he's directing the prequel, which is a romantic comedy uh, hmm. starring himself and uh Natalie Emanuel from Game of Thrones and uh Fast and Furious fame, so that could be interesting,
1: yeah, certainly, I think it's I mean, Netflix is going for – they're trying to branch out here, and I think they they certainly have an opportunity with this.
0: Yeah, so let's just go ahead and jump into the movie itself. So this is a heist zombie movie. Um, So basically, uh, they never quite get into it. Um, So I don't know if this is really a spoiler, but it's kind of indicated that zombies have, like, some kind of alien origins. Um, So zombies escape, they take over Las Vegas – uh, somehow they managed to quarantine all the zombies just within the city of Las Vegas with shipping containers, um, and then, uh, our our hero Dave Batista is approached uh by a wealthy businessman, um, played by Hiroyuki Sonata of uh, basically every like, every like blockbuster that needs a Japanese guy. Like, I feel like it's always him. Um, uh, like <laughs> talk about uh. Wolverine talking about Avengers Endgame, like <laughs> he was most recently a scorpion. Um, but he shows up, he's like, Listen, there's 200 million dollars in this safe. Um, the government is getting ready to nuke Las Vegas so they can wipe out all the zombies because that's the American way to handle things. And uh, so they, they call him in, Dave Bautista puts together his team, and then they're, they're going into Vegas to try and steal some money. Um, so it's, I mean, it's a pretty simple plot. Uh, as far as the heist goes, like there's nothing super complicated. Um, you get, you know, that typical plot or heist movie where they're like, here's exactly how the plan's going to go down. You see like clips of things that, you know, don't actually end up happening. Um, but I don't know. I There's been a lot of debate about this movie uh, in the, in the Babel staff. Um, what are kind of your general thoughts on it?
1: Um, I, you know, I didn't love it. I think it was fun. I think, as we're seeing, a lot of the reaction is pointing towards the opening of the movie. That's probably the best part of it. Uh, I don't know if you would agree with that, but I think this movie really starts with a bang, and I really dig that first 15 minutes. The intro credits are great, but even just the scene before that, like literally the first scene where none of our characters are in it. It's, it's uh, just kind of a setup scene for the film, and it is... Um, really good in my opinion. I think it's a solid scene. It's tense. It's interesting. Uh, it it the cinematography is pretty cool. I know Zack Snyder got to be the director of photography on this movie, so Netflix really did give him more than full reigns, right? They 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 let him go crazy with this, and I do like that setup. And then you have a great opening credit scene and a really solid intro to some of our characters after that opening credit scene. But I don't know. For me, I think the rest of the movie is pretty flat. Um. I didn't hate this movie. I didn't love this movie. I thought it was a fine film. And it's it certainly tried to kind of perform kind of in the vein of a, a Suicide Squad type uh, movie. And that's the thing about Netflix. I don't know if it's the absence of theaters, but I, a lot of Netflix blockbusters to me feel like mockbusters in a way. <laughs> um, maybe you need a theater experience to feel differently. Um, I, I do have a good setup at home with, uh, with, with a big... Uh, TV and a great sound system, but I feel like it's still missing something with a lot of these Netflix movies, and they just do feel like mockbusters. This movie tried to break away from that, and as I said, maybe it would in a the theater. Maybe it would feel good in a the theater. I know it did get a limited release last week, but um, for me, it just it, it was a little flat. A lot of that's in the characters. I didn't find a ton of them that intriguing or interesting, but it, it it's not a bad movie.
0: Yeah, um, this is a movie that I definitely don't love uh, but as far as just like Snyder's filmography, um, this is probably number one for me. Um, pretty pretty close with this and uh, his Dawn of the Dead. Um, but I think there's a lot to like. I think kind of like you said, the the opening sequence is really strong. Um, and just I really like the ways that this movie tries to do something different with the genre. So you know, even if they don't really get into it enough to give it any real meaning i do like the whole like alien side to this thing that's just kind of hovering around there um i like just kind of the zombie society and like the way they organize them and because uh, you know we saw this with zombie land 2 a couple years ago but with a zombie movie the sequel is always like well, what if we had you know more more aggressive or faster or stronger zombies um and so this movie goes down that road but i think they do a good job of explaining it and like giving it kind of a hierarchy and, and giving the zombies um, more motivation. So uh, the main villain um, in this movie is a zombie Lord called Zeus. Um, and you can tell because in typical Snyder style, there's a, a big shot where he's standing, staring at Zeus. <laughs> um, but he's one of the most humanized characters in the movie. Like he has a, a pretty simple ambition, um, but he's well understood. Like, you, I don't know, you see a zombie feel things and not like <laughs> that, uh, that movie from a, you know probably like five or ten years ago with uh, Teresa Palmer where the zombie comes to life and Nicholas Holt, <laughs> uh, but not not in that way of like touchy feely. But um, so so I think that part of it really worked for me. Um, I think the action uh, is really strong, but uh, characters are are not the strong suit in this movie.
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 certainly somewhat of an issue, and it kind of it didn't. I wouldn't say it took me out, but it just didn't bring me into this film. Um, I did think the introduction to some of the characters was pretty good, even though it is a little cheesy, uh, but that's fine, it's a zombie film, cheesiness is good, um, but it just didn't, uh, it didn't, uh, it didn't really land for me in a lot of areas, and the characters just for me weren't all that interesting, um, but yeah, for me, Snyder movies, this is probably in the middle, I, I do like Man of Steel, I think that's pretty good, 300 I like as well, and I did like John of the Dead, um, Considerably more than this movie, I think that movie had more interesting characters throughout to kind of keep you engaged. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Netflix went for with this, and yeah, it's 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 definitely stirring up some conversation, and that's good for them. There's there's a lot of debate online right now, and obviously, the Snyder fans are pretty uh, pretty vocal, so they're going to be out there defending this movie and, and riding for this movie. Then there's the people that are kind of, they'd love to hate on it. They'd love to hate on the Snyder stuff. Then you got the people in between, probably like us on this movie that just think, you know, it's, it works in areas. It's a fine movie. It's just nothing all that special.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm not a Snyder fan by any means, um, but I'm, you know, I don't, I don't just outright hate everything, but I don't think he's a very good director. <laughs> um, but I was, I was really surprised by this. I, I think um because my, bar or my opinion of his movies is typically so low, even though this movie's not, you know, fantastic, like it just exceeded my expectations a lot. And so I did really enjoy it. Um, and this is something I could see myself, uh, watching again sometime. I mean, considering we're getting a sequel series and a prequel movie, (laughs) that'll probably happen at some point. So
1: yeah, certainly. I mean, I mean, it had that long runtime, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, I think it has some rewatch value with some friends or something like that.
0: Listen, two hours and 20 minutes before credits is pretty short for a Snyder movie. So I was happy (laughs) to see that. I was like, thank goodness, this is not three hours.
1: (laughs) No kidding. No kidding.
0: Um, But yeah, I think, you know, I think Dave Bautista really carries this movie on his back. Um, He's the only character that I really found myself kind of feeling anything towards outside of Zeus. Um, And, you know, I I still don't know if it, it all really comes together. I think the dialogue is just really... Um, it's just like very blunt in the sense that there's not a lot of like art to what they're saying. It's very much like expositional, even when you're talking about these big, um, emotional moments, it's very much like, I don't know, someone's like reading off an instruction sheet of, (laughs) of what, how characters work instead of, you know, really, really having any dialogue that's kind of clever or, you know, even attempts to bury the lead.
1: Yeah, no, Dave is great. I like him. We both like him. But uh, yeah, I, I don't – I'm not going to give him the highest of praise for the film. I think he was serviceable and he was good. He's probably the, arguably the best part of the movie. But uh, even then, I think maybe some of it's the writing that didn't draw me into his character fully. But uh, speaking of Dave Batista, got to hijack his pod for a second. He responded <laughs> to your tweet about uh, – you, you said him and Jason Momoa should do a buddy comedy film or something like that. And he uh, was like, yeah, sign me up. Uh, What what would that be? What would the premise be if you had to write that film?
0: Uh, So I was thinking about this. So I think the danger with this kind of movie is Batista and Momoa could very easily like play the same character. Um, So I I think for this, Batista would be the straight man, and then Momoa would be (laughs) like, "You're you're kind of goofier." So Batista would be your Tommy Lee Jones, Momoa would be your Will Smith. You know? Yeah. Okay. Um, But I don't know. I feel like, you know. I feel like a, a good I don't know, just like a good on the road trip, you know? they have to I get can see them playing, country.
1: <laughs> I can see them playing relatives of a sort. Something what like if, that.
0: What if they uh if they just remade my spy but replaced the little girl with Jason Momoa? Perfect. Best yeah. buddy comedy. <laughs> it works. Uh but yeah, so that was that was fun. Um and I also want to talk about um so Tignataro uh is in this movie. And she was actually a pretty late addition. So originally, uh, Elia as a comedian, was cast in the world. And he had a lot of allegations come out about him. And so um replaced him um, as late as last August. Um, and so they uh, did a lot of reshooting, um, did a lot of like splicing her into the movie um, through digital stuff and working through COVID protocols. Um, and I think it worked really well because she is notably, noticeably absent. Um, from some big chunks of the movie. Um, but they blend her into what's going on really well for something that, you know, wasn't really intended to be done that way.
1: That is the pilot character, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. I think if you want anyone to drop out of a movie and need to be recast, it's probably that character there because they don't really need to be in the muck of it for the whole thing. They're kind of waiting at the chopper for a lot of the mission. But yeah, I didn't really notice that at all, that she was absent uh, from the original shoot uh, that that's pretty cool. So they lit- literally spliced her in to a lot of these scenes without other, other people there at all.
0: Yeah. And it's something that you really don't notice it um, in the movie. I mean, part of that was probably no. cause I wasn't looking for it. Um, but, but yeah, I think it was pretty impressive. Um, so yeah. before we kind of wrap up with army of the dead, uh, what were your thoughts on Snyder serving as his own cinematographer?
1: Um. You know, I think he, he, he'd he only really get this opportunity with Netflix or with a movie, with a studio movie on a smaller budget. Um, but I, I didn't, I, I thought he did a, a, an all right job. A lot of it is kind of over the top. You know, he really wants to show you that he is shooting this movie. Like a lot of the, for me, a lot of the shots are very in your face, very hardcore, heavy visual uh, style. But I did think he did a pretty good job. A lot of the scenes look quite good, even though a lot of it is probably green screen. Um I think the way he shot the that intro scene there was really good. Um, you have, at the beginning, there's this one specific shot uh, of the camera coming out of the crate that I thought looked really good, and that kind of opened me up to this movie. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know if he'll do it again, uh, kind of be his own cinematographer, but I'm glad he got the opportunity to do it. A lot of the movie was kind of blurry around the edges. Um, I've seen a lot of people talk about that, but apparently that's the camera he used. It's some rare... 60s camera or something like that that he found or some lens I, I don't i don't know cameras all that well but that's kind of what i have been reading um but yeah what what was your thoughts on him him shooting this film
0: yeah i think this film was the least visually distinct of his movies that that i've seen and at least that i can recall which is i mean pretty much most of them except for guardians of the Gu- owls of Gahul, which i have not seen um so I think, yeah, part of it is he was using a custom camera. Um, but it was a really that, that blurred edge, um, I, I forget exactly what the what that effect is called. Um, but most of the time you see it used when there's like some kind of daydream or, you know, intense emotional struggle. Um, or something like that. So the first thing that comes to mind, uh, just off the top of my head is like the scene in the first Avengers movie where Hawkeye's waking up from his mind control and you have that same effect um just to show that everything's kind of not what it seems like in that moment um our characters like trying to figure out where, where their minds at um so it was really weird because that effect is on like some really emotional scenes in the movie <laughs> um and you know i i've seen that coupled with kind of the complaint that um the film is very shallow focused uh which just makes everything look really flat um which i think also just kind of takes away Uh, from the film, uh, which is just an effect of digital photography, which um, Snyder hasn't done a whole lot of um, to this point. So, you know, I I don't, you know, and obviously everything's a little bit of an artistic choice, but I don't think um, some of the choices he made as far as equipment and just shooting style um, really fit the movie very well. It it seemed like the most generic of all his films. Uh, So, you know, I'm not a huge fan of just uh film graining the shot to hell like in Batman versus Superman. <laughs> um but at least that's distinct like that's his thing uh whereas Army of the Dead looks very much just like, you know, a Netflix movie.
1: Yeah, I I disagree a little with it being kind of flat visually. I I did not I I don't fully agree that it's probably his least visual appealing visually appealing film, but uh it, it wasn't it wasn't picture perfect obviously, but it was a decent experiment in my opinion.
0: And uh so here here's the thing I want to know if you noticed um or, or like what the deal was so I had two pixels on my TV that were always like burnt out white but only in some shots of this movie and I used my TV before I used my TV after there was nothing <laughs> while I was watching this movie specifically <laughs> there were two huh. pixels out so I don't know if that was like because that can be a camera issue with the way they filmed it, but it seems like that's a pretty big oversight for a 90 million dollar film. But like I use my TV before and after, no issue. So I don't know. I
1: don't know yeah, what
0: the deal is. That's was. odd.
1: Um that's really odd. I got a projector. I don't know if that would change things. Probably not. I, I have no idea, because you're saying it before and after you watch it, there's no difference uh there. But that's odd. Yeah, I don't know. I gotta maybe look at that again.
0: Um but yeah, that was that was Army of the Dead. Um overall it was a fun time. Like I, you know. I know I've nitpicked it quite a bit, but I had a good time with it, um, which is really all you can want from a zombie movie. Exactly. Um, so we'll go ahead and move on a little bit to uh, the movie that will really save cinema. Um, you know, we, you know a lot of movies, Tenet came out, Wonder Woman, uh, Ryan the Last Dragon have come out here trying to save cinema. Um, there's really only one movie that can get the American back- box office uh, back on track. And that is uh, F9. So unfortunately, it's its American debuts still a little while away. Uh, but it has been playing overseas and has uh, pulled in quite a bit of money. Um, if you want to go ahead and talk about that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, this thing opens up here to $160 million this weekend. And that's only from 13 markets. Um, so you got China, Hong Kong, South Korea, and then the Middle East. So really, you're not looking at a whole heck of a lot there. Europe... Nothing from there, not even Japan, Uh, kind of more Southern Asia, not there either. Australia, nothing. South America, nothing. And obviously North America, nothing. So in my opinion, this is a really good start for this movie. And it's very smart for them to do this sort of release, in my opinion. You know China's going to be the best place for this movie. The the fast films always do just incredible numbers there. So you drop it there first. You kind of now have the perception that this movie's opening up large, because you're getting that big front-end uh, gross right away. And this, movie's act- this movie actually has a staggered release all the way through to mid-July. So June 25 is when it comes out in North America. I think that's probably the right time for this movie to come out in North America. Um, but yeah, it's definitely going to have a little bit of a staggered release. So that $160 million that it made this weekend, $130 million alone is from China. And that's like the second biggest... Opening for this franchise in China, apparently the reviews weren't all that great, and that will hurt its long run earnings in China. Apparently, uh, I've been reading a lot kind of about the trends, and just review aggregators there are are very important to a movie's success long run. So I mean, it, it's still going to make a lot of money there, but we don't. I don't expect it to make as much as, uh, say, Fate of the Furious, or maybe potentially even Fast Seven. Um, but it, it, it will make a ton of money and this movie certainly has a shot of going all the way to a billion dollars globally. I don't think it will, but it certainly will make a big splash this summer. I mean, we'll see what happens in the US. These movies have been going down and down with each release kind of over the last two to three years, um, but it's it's it will be big none, nonetheless because it is a big franchise film, but I, I think this is something they could be happy about right it's the first 100 million dollar hollywood opening in china since avengers Endgame, <laughs> uh so there's there's certainly stuff to be happy about there and the international box office is kind of getting back into swing with this movie
0: yeah i mean this is the movie that's going to bring everything back to life so <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: no kidding i mean it's it's i'm i'm on my i'm in the middle of my marathon right now leading up to fast 9 so I'm, i got fast 5 next so
0: yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start mine uh, here sometime next month. So we we'll, uh, will that's only luck. be my second watch for most of these movies. So this will be a, a big, big step. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so before we move into uh, the Babble Club pick for the week, I um, want to touch on a movie that also released um, digitally uh, over this past week. And this is a movie that I got to see at Sundance last year um, called Blast Beat. Uh, which is a film um, written and directed uh, – or sorry, not directed, but written um, and created by Moises Arias and his brother, Mateo Arias. Uh, so Moises Arias is famous for being uh, Rico on Hannah Montana back in the day. Uh, so this is two brothers who moved from Colombia to the U.S., and just kind of their struggles to just fit in, um, their struggles to – um, find monetary success in the u s and, and facing a lot of backlash uh, because of their heritage and you know the fact that they speak Spanish and where they come from um and it's just like very emerged in heavy metal um It's probably the best way to, to describe this movie it's very loud like very chaotic um but it's it was an interesting watch um this was actually one of my like lower uh films when I ranked all of my sundance visits um but it's one that I kind of remember the most even though, even if I, you know, didn't really latch onto it. Um, I think it was a, a pretty strong story just watching these two brothers try to figure out life and, you know, fight each other and, uh, you know, (laughs) go up against the wall on all this. Um, so I would definitely recommend checking it out. Um, if you get a chance to, uh, it's a pretty small movie, so I don't think it's ever going to have just a huge release. Um, but it's definitely worth the, you know, hour and 45 minutes you spend with it.
1: Yeah. Rico writing a movie. That's pretty cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah, what's really interesting is that – so his name is Moises. His brother's name is Mateo. But in the movie, Moises plays a character named Mateo, um, which was you know just kind of weird, especially since they were so involved in the creation of this movie. You'd be like, yeah, I'm just going to take my brother's name, uh, <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd, I'd recommend checking it out. And then we'll go ahead and wrap up on that, move into the Movie Babel Club. Uh, So this is my pick. So I'm in the middle of trying to watch all of the Disney animated films. Um, So not not the entire Disney library because that'd be uh, far too big. But all of the Walt Disney Animation Studios films uh, before I go to Disney World this summer. So I went ahead and went with Alice in Wonderland, the 1951 version. Um, This is a movie I've seen a lot. Uh, This is my favorite Disney movie. Uh, So that's going to play my hand a little bit. but. I wanted to go ahead and watch this one. It's a it's a brisk hour and 14 minutes. Uh, pretty easy watch. Uh, so what were, what were kind of your thoughts? Have you seen this before?
1: Yeah, as a, as a, as a kid, I mean, it's it's not... Um, I, I do have a lot of talk about, about Alice in Wonderland overall, but this is not one that I would say I watch multiple times. I think I've only watched it once when mm-hmm. I was uh, quite young. So this was kind of my first time actually watching it and really remembering it well, right? Um uh, Because I just, I, I was quite young. Now, I, I enjoyed it. I think it's good. It's, it's as you said, it's a brisk, what, hour and 14 minutes, right? The music is great. The animation's great. It's 1951. It's iconic. Um, and as you said, it's your favorite, uh, what, Disney animated film? Yep. Yeah. And, you know, I got a lot to talk about Alice in Wonderland overall, because I think around the time of that Tim Burton remake, which is actually, for me, maybe a hot take, I prefer that to this. Very close but I just really like, I think out of everything he's tried to remake, whether it be not remake, but everything he's tried to jump into say Batman, Dumbo, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate factory. I think that world works the best for Tim Burton personally. Um, so I, I do enjoy his remake a lot, but they're pretty much on par for me, those two films. Um, but I had that, I had a big obsession with this IP around the time that movie came out. I remember even my, uh, school did like a play and everyone was just obsessed everyone like me and my friends we were just going around talking about the mad hatter and stuff like that it's so so random but i mean there was certainly a period in my life where this where where this ip was uh kind of big so it was nice to revisit it like it's been at least because i missed i skipped out on that uh into the looking glass uh (laughs) film from a couple years back so it was nice to jump back into this uh pretty much a decade since I've really even touched any of this. Um, but yeah, it's good. It's it's certainly a good animated movie, and its it'll, it'll always be iconic, uh, certainly.
0: Yeah, so this is a movie that, um, kind of like you, I got into when the 2011, 2010, 2011, when the, the Tim Burton sequel came out um, and kind of kicked off the, the Disney remakes. Um, so this was one that I never really watched growing up. Um, And then got into it about eleven years ago now, and just like the older I've gotten, this is the Disney. This and Snow White are the Disney movies I find myself returning to the most. Um, So big fan here. Um, I love just Walt Disney's history with Alice in Wonderland in general, um, because I'm a fan of the book as well, or both books as well, uh, which are pretty a pretty easy read. Like both books together is like 180 pages, Um, so not, not a huge commitment there. Um, but Alice in Wonderland was one of Walt Disney's original projects. Um, so back in the silent era when he was still in uh, Kansas City, before he made his way out west, um, Walt did a lot of like Roger Rabbit style uh, real life blended with animation shorts of Alice Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. These were all silent shorts. Um, these were kind of what got his foot in the door and uh, you know what led to eventually the creation of Oswald and then the uh, theft of Oswald and then the creation of Mickey Mouse um and so this is something that Walt had wanted to make for a long time um this is one of his favorite movies um that that the studio made while he was alive i think this movie came you know right in what i would say is probably disney's best 10 year stretch from Cinderella through Sleeping Beauty um and yeah i just I love the history behind this movie and I love the movie itself.
1: Yeah, you know, this movie to me more than any other Disney animated movie feels like a trip. Like you are on a, a one hour, 14 minute trip from start to end and there's really not much of a broken up period in there. I'm thinking of other older Disney classics, even Snow White, um, Sleeping Beauty, Dumbo. There, it, There's a broken up narrative there where you go from place to place I mean, obviously, you're traveling through Wonderland here with Alice, but it feels like one long, continuous trip, and it's pretty cool in that respect. Like, it's it's just kind of one one take here, almost, it seems like, from the moment that she falls down the hole to the moment where she wakes up at the end. It does feel like just one thing, and it's pretty cool in that, in that way, and you do feel like you're on that journey that whole time. and And you don't really, like, there aren't many other animated movies, I think, that I could say I feel that way with not many other movies period that I think take that approach of just transporting you to where you feel like you're just on this one singular journey and you're not really breaking apart from it. It's pretty cool. Um, and yeah, the animation for, for 1951, I mean, all the, it's, it's so cool to revisit all these old things, all the, uh, hand-drawn animation for some of these older movies. Um, but yeah, it was, it was certainly a good pick. And, uh, what do you now? you're in the
0: mid 1950s on, on your, uh, on your watches or what? I'm actually uh, into the 60s, so I have two more uh, movies that Walt was alive for, um, and then I'm moving into the, the post-Walt era. Uh, but I also want to highlight the cast in this movie, because I think kind of more than any other movie, uh, and especially this time, Disney reused a lot of different, uh, different actors, because you know this was still kind of breaking away from the studio system. You, know, you have your crew, you're going to keep bringing them in. Um, But this kind of has the all-star cast of Disney actors. So you have Catherine Beaumont, who plays Alice, who also played Wendy and Peter Pan. um, And she played both of those roles well into the 2010s. She did a lot of video game and TV stuff as well, uh, which you see with a lot of the Disney princesses in general. Um, Like the the lady that played Sleeping Beauty just retired a couple years ago. Um, You have Ed Wynn, who was also in Mary Poppins, uh, was just a hilarious comedian uh, back in the day who plays the Mad Hatter. Um, You have Sterling Holloway who plays Winnie the Pooh, um, which is probably his most iconic role. Uh, Also plays the Cheshire Cat. You have Verna Felton um, who plays pretty much every 1950s Disney movie. She has a role in, she was the fairy godmother. um, Is probably her other biggest role. And then obviously the queen of hearts in this movie. You have J. Pat O'Malley who's kind of the same way. Bill Thompson who would later play Shmi. Um, so you have a lot of heavy hitters. Uh, Thurl Ravenscroft, who is famous for singing the Grinch song, um, is also in this movie. So you just have an all-star cast uh, while you're going on this, just, this beautiful movie. Um, like they really just kind of get wacky. Uh, the movie before and after this both feel pretty restrained visually because um, you don't just have crazy stuff happening um, like you do in just kind of the vibrant, vivid world of, of Alice in Wonderland. Um so I I do want to want to call out the cast cuz I think they help really bring a lot of these characters to life because you don't really see anybody besides Alice for more than maybe 5 or 10 minutes. Um, but yeah, these are some of the most iconic Disney characters out there.
1: Yeah, no, certainly. Um Catherine Beaumont there as Alice. That's an iconic voice. That's one that sticks with you after you watch the movie, too. She uh her voice really fits that film well. Was this her first movie?
0: Or no. Um if it's if it wasn't It'd be pretty close. She would have been about twelve when the movie came out, if I if I remember correctly. Um, okay. Yeah. So it looks like she'd been in a few movies before, um, but then just kind of a testament to how much Disney pays the bills. After Peter Pan, she did do another movie for fifty years, and it was <laughs> One Hundred and One Dalmatians Two, the straight to DVD sequel.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that. Yeah,
0: Disney does certainly they did then <laughs> and they do now pay the bills. Uh, but yeah, so if, if you want a like a steady paycheck, just be a Disney princess because literally all, all the, all the princess actresses like just voiced the role for another 50, 60 years, um, just on TV specials and in the parks and all, all that fun stuff.
1: Yeah, it's, it's pretty neat. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in, you got to enjoy the rest of your, the rest of your journey there. I wish you well. How far are you going up to? What's, when, when do you end?
0: I, uh, I haven't decided if I want to rewatch Ryan, the last dragon yeah okay uh, so a lot you're of that pretty much going on... all
1: the way to now then
0: yeah it'll depend on if uh, Raya's you know free on Disney plus by that point because I don't really want to want to for four. It
1: again. <laughs> June, June four.
0: Uh, but I'm gonna try and fit Pixar in uh, so we'll see hmm. the, the hard thing is that I'm almost to the end of the like one hour long runtime Disney movies because a lot of these older ones are like an hour and five minutes an hour and ten minutes so you fit two of those in it's just like you watched a regular movie. Uh, but I'm running out of those options, so I might slow down a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, that Pixar might that might kind of prolong your journey.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that has been Alice in Wonderland. Um, we'll be back next week talking about um, Cruella, talking about um, the other big release, A Quiet Place Two. Uh, we will not be asking any uh, questions about the Fantastic Four because Emily <laughs> Blunt uh, <laughs> has been peppered with that enough. Uh, but it should be should be a a pretty good Memorial Day weekend, movie-wise. So we'll be back here talking about all that and more on next week's episode of the Movie Babble Podcast. And remember, you can always check us out online at moviebabble.com.